so glad you could join us for mornings at YCVC today. We want to thank you for being a part of our online family and we hope that this message encourages you, blesses you and helps you grow in your walk with him. So let's get into the word. Uh, this morning I'm praying about prayer and as I was preparing this morning I came across a few lists of prayers that kids have prayed and I'd like to share some of them this morning. First one, dear God, thank you for the baby brother, but what I wanted was a puppy. <laughs> dear God, if you can't make me a better boy, don't worry about it. I'm having a real good time like I am. Dear God, is it true my father won't get into heaven if he uses his golf words in the house? Dear God, did you mean for giraffes to look like that or was it an accident? Dear God, I heard the moon was made of cheese. Tonight, half of it is missing. Did you get hungry? And the final one, dear God, I say your prayer every night. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us some email. But I never get any email from you. Do you have my right address? But all jokes aside, the simplicity and beauty of these prayers that children have prayed is amazing. They've got a funny side, but at their core, they've prayed those prayers and they've first acknowledged that God exists and they've secondly used prayer for what it was made for and that is to communicate with God. As I prepared today, I was thinking of the image um, of that vision-impaired athlete that David Deal used a couple of weeks ago and how important prayer is in a race that's run well. Um, in Matthew 6 that Jill just read for us, we read about the Lord's Prayer that Jesus presented to his followers. So as we come to this passage this morning, let's, I'd like to just pray. Lord, we thank you that we can come together today to worship, to read your word, to fellowship and to pray with one another. We thank you that we, your creation, can come to you, our creator, and have a chat with you anytime, anywhere, knowing that you will listen and answer our prayer. We thank you for this incredibly simple yet powerful form of communication that you've given us through prayer so that we can connect with you and grow in relationship with you. Lord, as we look at your word this morning, I pray that your message will be heard for each one of us, regardless of the words that I use, and that we will all grow in our times of prayer with you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're looking at that passage in chapter 6, so quite early in the book of Matthew. And Jesus' teaching on prayer also appears in the book of Luke in chapter 11 in a shorter form. The one here in Matthew is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry and the one in Luke was about a year later when his disciples asked him how to pray. So you can actually see the two side by side in the Bible. We read in Matthew chapter 4 how Jesus begins to preach and travel and perform acts of healing and how he calls the first of his disciples. And we read how Jesus' ministry has gone viral all across Israel and all the surrounding lands. And when we come to chapter 5 in Matthew, the crowds are so big that Jesus goes up onto a mountainside and he sits down to teach. And he launches into this incredible, powerful set of teaching teaching us how to live as Christians in an evil world and that continues right through to the end of chapter 7. So this morning we're only going to look at a small part of this um, incredible set of teachings that Jesus gave 
And I just encourage you to go home and read those three chapters so you can read it all in context yourself at home. We read from verse 9 this morning that this part of Jesus' lesson on prayer begins in verse 5 with Jesus telling us how to approach prayer, not to make a big show of it, not to pray to be seen, but to be humble and quietly come to God in prayer. Now, this didn't rule out public prayer because Jesus publicly prayed as well, but it set an attitude and a focus around prayer. And we're to come to God in prayer with him as, with him as the focus and not with empty words for show. This prayer beginning at verse 9 is an example of prayer that Jesus taught, but if we mindlessly repeat this prayer over and over and pray nothing else, then I think we've missed the point of this prayer. It says not in verse 7, not to babble like pagans, and the pagans of Jesus' day would use repetitive chanting and words and phrases um, in their worship. And Jesus is saying, don't be like those, be mindful in your prayer. He wants us to be mindful and intentional in our prayer and not to babble phrases that might have become second nature and have lost all their meaning. Even with this amazing prayer we're looking at this morning, if it becomes mindless repetition instead of heartfelt worship and connection with God, then we've missed the point of the prayer. Whether our prayers are written or spontaneous or memorised, God wants our heartfelt connection when we pray. We're in a relationship with God and 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says that we're commanded to pray continually within that relationship. Any relationship can fail if there isn't connection and communication, um, if it's full of mindless words. So in our relationship with God, we need to pray with heart and sincerity and be constantly in prayer with him. Verse 8 tells us that God knows what we need before we ask him. God knows the future. In Jeremiah 29.11, God speaks to the nation of Israel and he says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen. God knew they were going to the promised land long before it happened. He knew they would make a mess of things, be invaded and taken into exile even before it happened. And God knows us too. And he knows everything we ever need before we even ask. So if God already knows, why do we pray? If we think back to that example that uh, David Deal gave us two weeks ago about the para-athlete running in conjunction with a guide and the guide being the Holy Spirit, then I think it's a little easier to see why we need to pray. If we want to run a race, follow the track that God's laid before us and finish well, we need to trust and communicate with our guide and make sure we stay on track. By praying, we may make God the priority in our lives and we seek his will and guidance in everything we do to stay on that track. Prayer just isn't just presenting God with a shopping list. He isn't Santa. You're not writing your Christmas wish list when you pray. Sometimes our prayers might look a bit like a Pinterest prayer. Tongue-tied Pinterest board, where we might say, you know, I'd like one of those and one of those and one of those, and if you can just save them and hold on to them for later, that'd be lovely. 
but that's not what prayer is all about. This prayer that Jesus gave the disciples is really amazing when you look at it. We'll look at it more, but other than the Lord's Prayer, there's no real right way to pray or no real formula for prayer so long as you pray. There's nothing wrong with praying a simple God could you please type of prayer so long as we don't fall in the trap of only praying in that way. In Ephesians 6, we're told that after we put on the armour of God, we pray. We do this to be alert to God's plan, to follow his lead so the enemy doesn't lead us astray. Praying to God puts him in charge so we can listen and follow him. And Philippians 4, 6-7 tells us, If we pray and present everything to God in rejoicing and gratitude, our hearts and minds will be guarded by the peace that he gives us. That's why prayer is so important and why it's important to pray for more than just what we need in the moment. Prayer keeps us on track. It gives us peace and forms a habit of a grateful heart when we thank God in prayer. So praying is incredibly important, even though God already knows what's going on. If you've watched the movie or read the book, The War Room, it talks about praying strategically and intentionally. The notion of a war room isn't new to the book or the movie. Defence forces use war, war rooms where they discuss where the troops and the enemy are, where battle lines are, where ordinances and supplies are. And companies like Google and Uber and others like that use war rooms where they discuss problems, come up with new ideas and they work out how to get ahead of the competition. Here at YCBC, we don't have a specific room for prayer as such, but at 9.30 on Sunday morning, the front of this church becomes our war room where we gather to pray for the gathering ahead and for our church family. We come before God, we acknowledge that he's our leader. We pray for those who are on team that morning and those who will be a part of the gathering. We pray for the enemy to be held at bay so that God's message will be heard by each one of us. And as a way of being strategic in prayer, the elders pray each day for the church. And at the moment, we're gathering weekly to pray for the church as well. Tomorrow night, our monthly prayer meetings will relaunch after a pandemic break. And everyone's welcome to come to our place to join us in prayer. And they're going to be the first Monday of every month. We thought that's a good way to try and remember it. And I encourage you all to come. Everyone's welcome. I encourage everyone to work out a war room for prayer for yourself. Maybe in the car on the way to work, maybe in your favourite chair at home. It doesn't matter where or when, provided you pray and you prioritise it and pray with purpose. And if we struggle to pray, we can read this in Romans 8, 26 to 27. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Sometimes we just don't know what to pray. Sometimes that's because we're in a situation where the words won't come. Maybe we don't know what to pray because we ourselves can't think of a solution to the problem. I've had many times when my prayer is as simple as, OK, God, what's next? Or maybe even a simpler prayer by praying help. 
We don't have to have big flowery words to pray. We can come to God through wordless groans and our guide, the Holy Spirit, knows just what we need and will ask for what we need according to God's will to keep us on track. The Holy Spirit will intercede for us. He's like wordless, like we wordlessly groan in prayer and he presents God with a comprehensive report of what we need. Um, he does that for us. So we, we just need to open our mouths and cry out. He fills the gap for us. When we don't know what to pray, we just need to come before God in prayer. The prayer Jesus gave his followers is fantastic because it focuses on priority and purpose in prayer. The first two verses prioritise God and the last three prioritise our basic needs. And it's really important that our lives and our prayer prioritise things in this way. God first, us second. And the Lord's Prayer helps us prioritise that. It doesn't mean that we're not important in prayer. It's just that God is greater and we bow first before God and then we ask for our needs. In verse 9, this prayer addresses our Father in heaven. That very first word, our, he is our God. He isn't ours in the sense of ownership or being able to manipulate him. But by using our when we pray together, we acknowledge that we're not alone in our prayer. We pray our because we are united in God. We never pray alone. Even if we pray in silence and in secret, we never pray alone. The use of our gives us a sense of belonging. We are, we are all part of God's family. We're all his children. He's our God. Moses preached to the nation of Israel before they entered the promised land and they'd been wandering the desert for 40 years and they're now on the threshold of entering that land that God promised. And we read in Deuteronomy 6 verse 4 where Moses says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This united the Israelite people. These verses are recited by Jews all over the world on a daily basis. These verses proclaim they had one and only one God and that they served and loved him. The words our father in the Lord's Prayer do the same for us as Christians. By saying our, we don't claim ownership, but we proclaim God as the only God for us and we unite as brothers and sisters in striving to love and serve him together. Then we pray Father. The Aramaic word Abba is translated here as Father. This word for Father implies an intimate and loving relationship with God. Not a God that's distant, not a God who created the world, set it in motion and then walked away. But Jesus tells us to call God Abba, Father, at the beginning of the prayer. God is close and wants us to address him as we would a beloved dad. We don't all have really good role models as our earthly dads, but God is the perfect dad without any faults and he loves us accordingly. It's a relationship built on love, not on distance. And all that was made possible because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. We can call the incredible, awesome, all-powerful God our dad because Jesus made it possible. Then in verse 6 it says, Hallowed be your name. Or in simpler words, holy be your name. 
While God wants a close and intimate relationship with us, we must never forget he is God. We balance a sense of closeness with a sense of his awesome majesty. We come to God as a dad, but knowing he is all-knowing and all-powerful. So many things of God are two extremes held in tension together. And we're in danger if we stay at either extreme. If we focus too much on God as dad, we might begin to treat him as an earthly dad. And let's face it, most of us have manipulated or disobeyed our dads at some point. On the other hand, if we only see God in awesome majesty, we don't see our value and worth in God's eyes. And we miss that message of love and intimacy that God wants in our relationship with him. We need to be in awe of God but we need to know he's our loving dad too. Two extremes held together. In verse 10 of Matthew 6, we read, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The point of everything is God's kingdom. The Bible was written to lead us to God's kingdom. Jesus came to make it possible for us to join God's kingdom and we look forward to the fullness of God's kingdom in heaven one day. In Revelation 11:15, it describes the angel blowing his trumpet as he heralds in God's kingdom where he'll reign forever. We've got a taste of God's kingdom now through Jesus because we are spiritually healed. We're forgiven through faith in him. While our works can't get us into the kingdom, once we become a Christian, we do good works to work for God's kingdom and to show what living in God's kingdom is like to everyone around us. And we look forward to the day when the angel blows the trumpet, heralding in the fullness of God's kingdom in heaven for all those who are part of God's kingdom. We pray to ask for that day to come and look forward to being part of it when it does. The second half of verse 10 is, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How much better would this world work if everything was done according to God's will? Prisons and law courts would be out of business if everything operated according to God's will. We need to be faithful in praying for God's will to reign in our lives and in the lives of others. We need to pray for our leaders at all levels (coughs) so that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is where our war room or strategic prayer comes into play. We can make a list of things to pray for or a group of photos of people to pray for. Pray for God's will to be done in this world as it is in heaven for all of them. I think this should also prompt us to do God's will. Praying God's will be done and then speeding or cheating on our taxes or lying to someone kind of undoes what we were praying for in the first place. So this part of the prayer also reminds us to do God's will in our own lives in that if we want to see a world where God's will is done, then we need to make that a priority and do what we can to make that change. If we do God's will and show others how to live in God's will, then surely that will bring a bit of God's will to earth as it is in heaven. There are ways you could do this within our church family. You could help teach kids' church and show the kids what God's will is for them. I'm sure Crystal would love to add you to the roster. If you'd like to be a part of Sunday gatherings, 
one of the leaders would love to talk to you. If you'd like to make the difference in the life of a child in our community, I would love to sign you up as a Kids Hope mentor. If you'd like to make the difference in the life of a child overseas, Stephen Leslie would love to sign you up to be a compassion sponsor. Other ways you can live God's will and show others could be through mowing your neighbour's grass, inviting someone for a meal. Anyway, we can show God's love in the world will make a difference and will bring God's will and purpose to earth. Moving on to verse 11 where it says, Give us this day our daily bread. Now bread represented the necessities of life for the disciples and for the life of others that Jesus was talking to. In other cultures, it might be something different, rice, potatoes, something else. But to these people, bread was the necessity of life. When the Israelites had left Egypt in the Exodus, they were hungry and they grumbled to Moses and Aaron. And we can read about it in Exodus 16. And God heard their grumbling and he sent food in the form of meat and bread. They got bread or manna in the mornings and quails in the evening and there was always enough for everyone, but only for that day. If they collected too much, thinking, well, I'll just save that for tomorrow, they would find it was often full of maggots. The only time they could collect extra was the day before the Sabbath and on that day they could collect double, so on the Sabbath day they could rest. This was an extreme situation. They only ever had enough for that day and never anymore. But it was because God wanted to rely on him alone. He was forming a nation of people to be his alone and wanted them to rely on him only. Now, we might not live hand to mouth like the Israelites did, but sometimes we're at the other extreme and we have too much. If we've got an excess of stuff or money, we can fall into the trap of relying on that to meet our needs instead of relying on God to meet them. In this prayer that Jesus gave, it says to ask for our daily needs to be met. If we've got too much today, then we might forget to ask for God to provide tomorrow. If we have too much, we might be tempted to hang on to those treasures here on earth and forget about the treasures in heaven we should be holding on to. Further on in chapter 6 of Matthew, Jesus says in verse 19, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. God knows that our human nature will slowly cause us to forget those treasures in heaven if the treasures on earth are too great. So it's important to come to God to be reminded that all we have comes from him and to hang on to those treasures in heaven. It's not about what you have or how much you have. It's about holding the things of this world loosely enough that they don't become more important than God holding those things loosely enough that we can give them up for God. God wants to take care of our necessities. These could be health, protection, shelter, our families, employment or peace, not just having food on the table. We have a God that cares for us and we shouldn't worry about our, how our needs will be filled, whatever they are. Further on in Matthew 6 in verse 25 it says 
Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet our heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single single hour to your life? Whatever we have or don't have, we shouldn't worry, but trust in God's provision. He wants us to wait on him and ask him to provide and not to worry. George Mueller was a Christian in England in the 1800s and in his lifetime he oversaw the care of over 10,000 orphans. He educated them, he set up Bible schools and distributed Bibles. He never received any government support but only received financial support through people who donated to his work. He never once asked for financial support or went into debt for the work he did. Instead, he prayed and he prayed for support and it came. Many times food would arrive only minutes before it was needed. There's one famous story about how he and the children were sitting, the ones immediately under his care anyway, not the whole 10,000 at once, but they were sitting at the table ready to eat and there was no food, not a single thing to eat. So they prayed. As they finished praying, a baker knocked on the door with enough bread to feed everybody. And quite conveniently, a milkman appeared. His cart had broken down in front of the orphanage and he donated all his milk to the orphans and they were all fed. We shouldn't worry. We should pray. God will provide for us. He will give us what we need. And in giving us what we need, he doesn't just provide for us personally. He actually gives us all that we need to do God's work. It's all from him and it's all for him. Whatever you have, you can share it around knowing that God will provide for tomorrow. This could be the food off your table or your time or any other resource you have. God will provide and we don't need to worry. Verse 12 says, And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Debts can be translated here as debts, sins or transgressions. It could be good things we've omitted to do or the things that are wrong. And I love the definition that Colin Buchanan always uses. He says that sin is the bad things we do and the good things we don't do. The the bad things we do and the good things we don't do. Our first responsibility in this verse is to ask God for forgiveness for ourselves. It's not about topping up our salvation. Jesus died once and for all on the cross. He died for any sin we did before we became a Christian and for every sin afterwards. But by coming to God to confess, we open our hearts to him anew. We realise that we can't run this race alone and we ask him to help us in our weaknesses. We strive not to, be, not to sin whilst being forgiven at the same time. We also need to forgive those who've sinned against us. Tim mentioned last week about the Roman patron-client culture that was around um, patron-client culture that was around in Jesus' time. If you received money from someone, they became your patron and you became their client. Your patron would then have a say in everything you do. 
So in the Roman world, if someone was your client, you had power over them. In Roman terms, to forgive a debtor meant releasing that person so they were no longer bound to you. It let that person go to run their own lives. So if someone has sinned against us and feels like they are now in our debt, we need to ask God to help us release that person so that person is no longer under our power. Sometimes forgiving feels impossible, especially if it involves abuse of any sort and it feels like the debtor has power over you. Without forgiveness, though, we are still bound to that person who harmed us. Forgiveness is impossible on our own, but possible with God. God doesn't want us bound to anyone other than him. By asking God to help us forgive those people who've hurt us, we remove that person's power over us and ours over them, and we give God power over us instead. God's power is perfect, transforming, freeing and life-giving. After Jesus had finished giving this prayer to his followers, he added a warning about forgiveness in verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others in their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Jesus isn't referring to God's initial act of forgiveness that we experience when we first become a Christian. Christ's work can't be undone because of our unforgiveness. What he is referring to is the day-to-day -day renewal and restoration of our relationship to God, which is interrupted by our daily sin. We're to confess our sins, forgive others on a daily basis, to restore our intimacy and gain a full relationship with God. If we claim to be forgiven by God ourselves, but won't forgive others who've done wrong by us, then we're hypocrites. If we don't forgive others, then we have not fully grasped what being a follower of Jesus is all about. We can't possibly walk with God in true relationship with him if we don't forgive others as he has forgiven us and we need to forgive them. There will always be hurts and consequences from our sin and the sins of others but forgiveness is essential in moving forward in relationship with God. The last two lines of this prayer are in verse 13 and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. We put on the armour of God each day and we pray. These lines of the prayer are for our defence and acknowledge God's victory over Satan. Each day we face a battle of temptation and sin that the evil one will put before us and try and trip us up and cause us to stumble. In our war room of prayer, we mark the battle lines and call for the commander's help in overcoming anything that is thrown at us. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. We will all be tempted, but God will always provide a way out. And we will endure with him. So it's important that we pray this line of the prayer so that we can seek God as we are tempted. 
One of the songs for the movie The War Room was written by Stephen Curtis Chapman and in the chorus it says, and I fall on my knees and I fight like a warrior. I'm a warrior on my knees. And that was warrior, not warrior, in case I didn't say it right. Warrior. We're warriors on our knees, knowing that while we face a battle against the evil one in our daily lives, God has won the war. We can call on the name and power of God Jesus and the Holy Spirit at any time to help us and we will overcome temptation and evil. Many of us have grown up with this prayer in Matthew 6 and will know that it's often ended with, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory now and forever. Amen. In the earliest manuscripts that we have of Matthew, these words aren't actually there. It's present in later manuscripts but when the, in the 15 and 1600s, when they were first translating the Bible into English, they didn't have those earlier manuscripts that we have today. So when the Bible was being translated into English, it was based on manuscripts that had this last line of prayer in it. And as older, older manuscripts have been discovered, publishers of translations like the ESV and NIV have gone back to those older manuscripts and they were written much sooner than the sooner after the original books were written and they didn't have these final words in it. The words don't detract from the prayer and they aren't theological, theologically wrong or anything. They just weren't in the original manuscripts. But like I said in the beginning, this isn't the only thing you have to pray. It's a good round purposeful prayer given by Jesus himself that sets a good example to pray. And even though this ending isn't in the original, it's often used. So whether you end the prayer with acknowledging the kingdom, power and glory of God or not, the important thing is to pray. Use this prayer often. Don't just let it become mindless or unfeeling. Really think about the words and for Jesus' message for us through them. Jesus was purposeful in prayer. He deliberately made time for prayer. In Hebrews 5, 7, it says that during the days of, the, of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. In Luke 6, 12, we're told that Jesus went to a mountainside to pray and prayed all night long. A life living with Jesus and for Jesus needs to include prayer. He encourages us to pray. He modelled how to pray. And in Matthew 6, Jesus tells us what to pray. By being purposeful in what we pray, how we pray and what we pray, we prioritise our relationship with God. We seek the guidance of the Holy Spirit to help us run the race before us. And we align our lives more and more to Jesus. We need to acknowledge God as the holy and mighty God he is, but also come to him in prayer as a dad who loves us very much and wants to care for us. And he wants to meet our needs on a daily basis. And when we're purposeful in prayer, it will transform us and we will see God's power and work firsthand. So let's pray this incredible prayer together this morning. And for those who like the traditional ending, we will finish with that today. 
we'll pop the words up on the screen so that everyone can use the same words. We all know very slightly different, um, different versions of it. So I thought it'd be great if we all, all prayed the same ones this morning. So let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory now and forever. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. As you head back into your week, we want to encourage you to stay in his word, stay in his love, and stay strong in your faith. Don't forget to keep up to date with what's happening via Facebook, Instagram, or via our website at ycbc.church. See you soon.